no star pawb croeso i Trinity Cheltenham. Holly Edith Wanui. Welcome to Trinity Cheltenham. Um, good evening, and my name is Holly. Now, there are lots of um, different backgrounds and variety of different experience in the room, and in a moment, I'm going to ask Andrew to come around and find out the different ways in which we can say the word welcome in different languages. So be having that in the back of your mind. The reason why is because we are looking at this, this topic of hospitality. And this topic of hospitality is incredibly exciting, and I'll get into the reason why I'm really excited about this in a second. I get excited about a lot of things. Um, but as I've been exploring more and more, um, I found this quote by John Mark Comer, and he says, um, hospitality is expressing a welcome through acts of love. Hospitality is a it's expressing a welcome through acts of love. So we are welcoming one another. So as we welcome one another, um, Andrew, would you, um, I know you've got a couple of different ways of saying welcome <laughs> in different languages, haven't you? <laughs> Bonjour, bonsoir, Holly, Sylvain, anyone else got, can say hello and welcome in a different language other than those that we've just tried to use? Wave a hand. Nick. Guten Tag. Willkommen. Ah, willkommen. I should really be asking us to repeat these. Kalubo sana. I didn't quite hear that, but I'm going to go Jambo Habariaku. So, same sort of thing. <laughs> Are you going to do from Birmingham? What up, Bab? Konbanwa irashaimase. Japanese. Oh, wow. Come on. Who else? Anyone else? Any, are there any different languages over here? You're going to do Scottish, did you say? Go on. Manwanani. And you see Manwanani. See. See. That means I'm happy if you're happy. Oh, oh, like it. Shona. Great. Well done, guys. Well, thank, thank you. you. There you are, Thank you it. so much. Oh, we've got one more. Where? Oh, yeah. Come on, Mario. Dobar večer. Dobre dušli. Which is good evening. Uh, you're welcome. Like, you're welcome. Oh, fantastic. In Bulgarian. Oi. Fantastic. Thank you so much. It's Eurovision so, Song Contest. Yeah, it's like the Eurovision Song Contest. You promised me Latin. Can you do Latin? No, or was that I no? Can't. That was a joke. <laughs> that was a joke. Okay. Um, so. We're talking about hospitality tonight. So last week we had Tim opening up this series, and um, so today we're going to be looking at hospitality from the heart. So what does your gut say when I say that the Bible says to practice hospitality? Now, I'd hazard a guess that there's a bit of a scale in the room. You've got those who are extremely excited about this potential now that we're allowed to do more gathering. 
we have an incredible church family here, don't we? And there are so many times I've been shown phenomenal hospitality, including being able to live with a family for seven months during the first lockdown with two toddlers. It's been an incredible blessing to me to be able to do that. But there are so many stories around this church family that are challenging to me about how I practice hospitality. We've got a lot to learn from each other. So we've got this whole scale of, on one end, being really excited about opening up homes and being able to do life together. And then you might be more towards this other side of the scale where your gut kind of drops and you think, oh, but that's for those who are gifted in hospitality. It's not for me. That actually makes me feel really anxious. And you might be feeling even more anxious given that we've been in lockdown. Um, I've, I'm normally a, a bit of an extrovert, but I'm kind of halfway and I've really tipped into introversion and I need to kind of recover after I've been around people now. And you might feel similar. But hospitality is not confined to an industry or to those who have a gift for it. It's not just for those who are introverted or extroverted or chefs and do amazing meals that are worthy of Pinterest and Instagram or whether you can make baked beans on toast. It might be that we are called to do this. No, we are called to do this, no matter where we are on any of those scales. And it might feel really hard for us to be talking about hospitality as something that we really want to prioritise as a church family. But I'm really excited about it, and I really want to share some of the reasons why. The main reason is because when God calls us to do something, it's because it's going to bring us life. It's there to bring us closer to Jesus and to bring us life. And we're going to be looking at a passage in John in just a bit, um, and we're going to dig into John 13. But first, I'd like to do a little bit of an overview of what hospitality is. Because when I say practice hospitality, it comes directly from Scripture. It comes from Romans 12, um, where uh, Paul is writing to the Roman church. And he says, Dioko philosenia. So we're going to take that apart. The first bit that I want to explore is philosenia. That's the Greek for hospitality. And when we break it apart, it's actually two words in the Greek that have been brought together. The first word is philo. And Gracie's going to pop it up on the slide. Brilliant. Thank you, lovely. And that comes from the word philia, which is the highest form of love. So you might know the four different words for love in Greek, and this is one of them. And it's friendship. It's brotherly love and affection. And we see, don't we, in John 15, a little bit later, that laying down one's life for one's friend is the greatest love. And then the other part of that word is zenya. 
which is stranger, refugee, outsider, guest, somebody who's different from me. It's where we get xenophobia from, the fear of a stranger. But here we're called to hospitality, to love those who are different from us, that are the strangers to us. And the other word, so practicing hospitality, to practice hospitality is dioko. Dioko means to strive for, to pursue, to eagerly run after. One um, commentator says um, that it's to aggressively chase, like a hunter pursuing a catch. It's an active thing. And it's used in several other places in the New Testament to pursue love, to pursue goodness, to pursue righteousness, and to pursue peace. It's the same word. So it's really important for us as we dig in to hospitality to know the weight of which God himself puts on it. And it's not about us becoming legalistic, about saying, great, I've done three barbecues in the last couple of weeks. That's great, I'm kicking that one off. It's actually a lifestyle. And when we look at Jesus' life, we see that he hosted people well because he expressed love to everybody in front of him. That expressing a welcome through acts of love was what Jesus lived and breathed. As Andrew mentioned earlier, Robert Karras, who's a commentator, who's written some books in the Bi- on the Bible, um, wrote about the book of Luke, and he said, in Luke's gospel, Jesus is either going to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal, which is fantastic. He loved to feast. And in him feasting, he was pointing towards us feasting on the bread of life, the only food that can satisfy, which is Jesus himself. He provides for us over and above what we could ask or imagine. And last week, Tim, um, I really, really want to commend Tim's talk to you. Do look back on it if you haven't watched it already on Luke 15, which is the story of the prodigal son, that outrageous, extravagant love that the father poured out on his son. Tim said last week that the hospitality of God's heart means he doesn't cancel you. So no matter where you are, the fact that you're coming to God, he's going to have his arms wide open. And Jesus preached that in a, to a, a group um, that was... Uh, a a mix of different people. You had the outsiders that it spoke directly to, but you also had this group of religious leaders who he was speaking to who were complaining that Jesus was hanging around with these people, even eating with them. They were dictating that the people that Jesus spent time with weren't worthy or valuable enough. Jesus, by sitting with them across a table was saying that this person in front of them was a friend. He was united with them. There was peace and there was trust and forgiveness. And they didn't like it. And we're all going to be, we're going to be about the heart today. Because hospitality is an attitude of the heart, as well as a practice. Hospitality is actually opening up your heart to somebody in front of you. And showing who you really are to the person in front of you. 
letting them know that they are invited to be themselves. It's living life in a healthy way as part of a community. If you live as part of a community, you can't do it on your terms. You can't have it um, all, all your own way, having a front up showing, oh, I'm perfect all the time. Look, I've always got um, a perfect home and it's, all, it's always tidy and clean. And that's exhausting if the reason why you're doing all of those things is to look perfect and to be... Instagrammed every time you come and you have visitors. Hospitality is meant to be costly, but not in that way, because it does bring life. So we're going to read through John 13, and we're going to read through the first 17 verses together. And it's going to come up on the screens, you might want to get out your Bibles, you might want to get out your phones... Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to the Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. That means it was limitless, his love for them. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, he took off his robe, he wrapped a towel around his waist and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested. You will never, ever wash my feet. He loves a bit of a dramatic moment, Simon Peter does. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. It's a really precious moment where he doesn't belittle Simon Peter, but he tells him how it is. Simon Peter exclaimed, Then wash my hands and my head as well, Lord, not just my feet. Do it all, Lord. Again, dramatic. Jesus replied, A person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you, for Jesus knew who was going to betray him. This is what he meant when he said, Not all of you are clean. Now just a quick note on that. When those in Roman times were going to bathe, they'd go to the bathing pool, they'd wash themselves, and they'd get out and go to the dressing area. And as they walked, they would get their feet dirty, so they'd need to wash their feet again, but the rest of them was clean. And in this, there's so much that you could look into about this, and it's really fascinating. But what Jesus is talking about is baptism. So when you come to faith, and you're baptised into the family of God... You are cleansed. When you choose to follow Jesus, you are clean. But there is a daily walk, isn't there, with Jesus, where we choose unwisely and we do silly things when we need to go to God and say, I'm really sorry, Lord. Help me walk in the way that you, you, you have for me that brings life. So that's what he's on about there. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, Do you understand what I was doing? 
You call me teacher and Lord. And you are right, because that is what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are no greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Now, I don't know about you and how you receive that passage. I hate people touching my feet, so it freaks me out. Um, I'm not going to get a load of bowls of water and get us to wash each other's feet. Don't worry. I know it's not COVID safe, but actually, I don't think that's actually what the Lord is talking about here. But how we respond is really important. And so there are two things I want to draw out of the passage um, this evening. The first is that we need to receive hospitality. We need to receive. So we need to receive from God. And it's a principle of the kingdom, of the, of the way of life with Jesus. We need to receive from him. He loved us first so that then we can love others. He showed us immeasurable grace, which then now means that we can show grace to others. He gives us all that we have so then we can share it with others. So we need to be able to sit in that place to receive from God himself. And this is why I have the AeroPress. This is a wonderful piece of kit. I am um, not on commission, but it is fantastic, especially for camping. So this makes coffee. And a couple of years ago, we went to Kenya, and we took it as a gift for one of the missionaries out there. He loves coffee. And a couple of days in, I um, taught him how to use it. So what happens is you put coffee in this part. That screws it off. Coffee in that part. Tim O'Leary can tell you exactly the best way in which to make coffee using this. I'm not going to go into it, but you pour water in there. Um, then you let it brew. This is the inverted method, guys. Um, and then you put a filter on top. So a filter goes in there, and then you screw it, and then you plunge, and you get wonderful coffee. So I taught Henny how to use this. We had fantastic coffee. And then the next day, he made me a coffee. And I walk into the kitchen, and he says, hold, it's on the, it's on the side. Um, it just needs to brew for a couple of minutes, and then it'll be ready for you. And I was like, great, that's exactly what I need. So then I go to turn it over, and I flip it. But what he hasn't told me is the lid isn't on. And what happens is that there's coffee everywhere, <laughs> all dripping down the sides of the cabinet. Um, all over the floor, and before I've even had the chance to get my head around the situation, one of our most servant-hearted students of the year got down on all fours and started clearing up. But she started by touching my feet, and I kicked her. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> it's all right, she's fine. Um, but I did, I kicked her, and... I was, basic, I was so ashamed of how dirty my feet were. It was a gut reaction. Um, there's a photo of some of, the, some of the day's walks that we went on. Um, this is how muddy it was. And we were just walking barefoot a lot of the time. You can't get that off your feet in just water. 
I scrubbed my feet when I came back because they were so filthy. But I was so ashamed of my feet. And I just pushed away that kindness and generosity. And it can be so easy for us to find the generosity of God something that we can't quite grasp. You see, when we look at this passage, we see I see three things. I see that for Jesus it was costly, it was sacrificial for him. It was sacrificial because he was the most honoured guest around that table. And the rituals back then meant that the, the lowest servant in the room would wash everybody's feet. But that hadn't happened for whatever reason. And Jesus himself prepares himself, puts a towel around his waist. He prepares the water. He does it all. He's all in. And he washes the disciples' feet. Now, any one of those disciples would have happily, I'm sure, washed Jesus' feet because he was the highest person there. But to wash each other's, that was too much pride involved there. Couldn't do that. It was inclusive. So it was for everybody around the table. Even Judas, who he knew was going to betray him. Even Peter, who he knew was going to deny him three times just a few hours later. It included everybody. That love was spared for no one. <laughs> don't know whether that was the right phrase. He lavished it over everybody, is what I meant. And the last one, it interrupted. It interrupted the culture. It interrupted the busyness and, and, and the, the world that they all knew. It wasn't the status quo. <laughs> didn't feel comfortable. Jesus set pride aside and he put love right at the center. I was chatting to a few different people this week about hospitality and Kerry, who is on the team here, um, told me that she had been welcomed in by a family and been told that she could just turn up whenever she liked. And that for her, what it meant was that she was being invited into the very real aspects of life. And this is what hospitality is. It's about potty training toddlers running around. It's about the dishes being stacked up high on the side. And yet, you know you're welcome because they're showing all. And so you get to be you. There's a, um, a quote that hit me <laughs> in my stomach as I read it, which was, sometimes we show a servant's heart by accepting the service of others for us. If we only serve and refuse to be served, it can be a sign of deeply rooted and well-hidden pride. Man's humility does not begin with the giving of service. It begins with the readiness to receive it. For there can be much pride and condescension in our giving of service. It can be really easy to slip into this. But we are called to do this with open arms, to receive others' hospitality as well as Jesus's. And it's only then that we can do the same and do it in his strength. It's only then, once we've received, that we can then give from that place of abundance and overflow. We can find plenty of reasons not to. 
So many excuses, aren't there? So many reasons that show the heart of, of what's going on. I don't have enough comparison. Others have more. They should invite me because they have a bigger living room. Laziness, insecurity about what people see about who you are. Maybe laziness, but this isn't about us. When we look at this passage, we see that Jesus is about to go into this incredibly tough time where we can't even comprehend the torture that he was going to go through. And he knew that was going to happen. Yet, he put aside all of that to love the ones in front of him, the ones who are going to let him down. This isn't about us. This is about welcoming through acts of love those in front of us. In Leviticus, it says, Do not take advantage of foreigners who live among you in your land. Treat them like native-born Israelites and love them as you love yourself. Remember that you were once foreigners living in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Hills mentioned last week on, at the 10 a.m. to make space for others who we wouldn't necessarily choose for. But we are imitating Christ. That's what we're invited into. And that's what brings life. So shall we stand? The band will come up in a moment. And... Just got a couple of questions, really, for us to kind of walk through as we pray and as we dwell on who God is and what he's done for us, his love for us that's limitless. Do you need to receive again that hospitality from God? Do you need to let him into that messiness to give over who you really are to God and not kick him away because he's trying to help you. That's his heart for you. Can you let him in to that messiness? What are you hiding behind? Another thing to ponder is who around you is different from you, who needs hospitality? Who's lonely around you? Who's on the outside? Who needs that welcome in with acts of love? It's not just about hosting a meal. Food is important. Jesus loved food. We love food. It's not just about food. It's also about spending time with somebody going for a walk. So you might want to have your hands open in front of you as we ask to receive more of God's love.